I'm standing in for Vic Smith this morning, who uh, is recovering from a small stroke, but he's actually doing extremely well. Um, and it also occurred to me, uh, as I was practicing this reading this morning, that if we had the beautiful voice of Aretha Franklin with us this morning, she would have sung it for us. But it's me. So we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, You alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's uh, pray again, shall we? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. For the sake of your son we pray. Amen. Bishop Solomon is a bishop in the diocese of Jos in Nigeria. He and his wife Grace prayed with Helen and me when we were at the GAFCON conference in Jerusalem 
a couple of months ago. Uh, Each day uh, we would gather together in the auditorium and uh, after the Bible study uh, we were supposed to be in a group of eight but four of our people never turned up and so the four of us uh, every day shared uh, life about uh, stories about ministry in Nigeria and ministry in Australia with Solomon and Grace. He is battling all kinds of challenges in his church life in Nigeria. Poverty. The clergy and the bishop don't get paid for three months every year. Witchcraft, Islam, militant Islam, the prosperity gospel, they were the challenges to the ministry in his diocese. I shared with him about the challenges of ministry in Australia. Secularism, liberal theology, affluence and decline. Uh, As we shared over these days, uh, Bishop Solomon asked me a number of times, are your churches full, he said. I said, sadly, Bishop, no, they're not full. Most of our churches are empty. He couldn't get his head around this. The next day he said, but but please tell me, are your churches full, he said, because uh, he's in a context where his churches are all full, uh, overflowing with people. Surely people should come to church, he kept saying to me. But as we know, many churches in the West are like those from which I come in Tasmania. Small, weak, ineffective in evangelism and having lost touch with the society around them. I don't know if it happens here, but the media in Australia love it when statistics about church life come out and uh, they like to uh, trumpet them over the papers that uh, church is in decline in Australia. They love to share the stats about our failing organisation and in some ways they are very right to do so. We lost the plot a long time ago. And I'm pretty sure as you look around many of the churches here in New Zealand, you will find the same kind of statistics. As I said uh, earlier, yesterday I had the privilege of working with a bunch of New Zealanders thinking about the future of Anglican ministry in this country post the decision of your General Synod to walk away from biblical truth and the Anglican teaching on human sexuality. We had a wonderful two days of dreaming and planning and deciding what we would do next. And we want to see the revitalisation of the church in this nation as much as we want to see the revitalisation of the church in Australia. The question is, how will that happen? How will that happen? Is there any future for God's people and God's church in this place, especially in the West? Well, I want us to focus on uh, this uh, passage from Ezekiel 37 today as we explore this question about the revitalization of God's people. I wonder how often you've heard this uh, story of the Valley of Dry Bones. I could hear Aretha Franklin as well as uh, the reading was read this, this morning. Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet of the people of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon in the 6th century BC. The people of Israel had repeatedly turned aside from God's word. They had repeatedly gone their own way. 
In Ezekiel's day, they were more in love with money and status and success than with God's word and his plan for their lives. So God had acted in judgment against them. The story well known in the Old Testament is that God had raised up the Babylonian Empire who had come on Jerusalem, the holy city, and captured the people of Judah and taken them into exile through a massive deportation of their nation to live in the city of Babylon. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. It now lay in ruins. And as you could imagine, the people of Judah were in despair. They felt like God had abandoned them, that their sin was so great and the punishment so harsh that they despaired of life itself as they lived in this city of Babylon. You might remember those words from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, And there we wept as we remembered Zion. They remembered the holy city of Jerusalem. And you can imagine it, can't you? The national tragedy of having your land ransacked and you being deported and now living under foreign rule. But it was more than just a national disgrace. It was a spiritual disgrace for this was the judgment of God on the people of Israel. And they felt the pain of this judgment very keenly indeed. So there they were in the, in the city of Babylon. And Ezekiel was raised up as a prophet among them, one who would speak the words of God to his people while they were in exile. He mostly spoke to them about their sin and their brokenness and their need of repentance. He kept pointing out to them their their greater love of money and status and power than their love for God, their rejection of God's word and his teaching. But God had another message for Ezekiel to preach to his people in Babylon. And that was a message of hope. You see, one of the things that God sent the prophet Ezekiel to do was to tell the people that even though they were under the judgment of God... God had not finished with them yet. And one of those messages of hope is our passage from Ezekiel 37 this morning. It's a vision, a vision that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel where he was whisked away into the desert and shown a picture. And what a picture it was. In his vision, Ezekiel is whisked away and set down in a valley, in a desert valley, and it was full of bones, we're told. If you picture in your mind's eye this morning those terrible pictures we have of mass graves at war, of the pictures of dead bodies piled up in Auschwitz or the killing fields or the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, But this valley in Ezekiel's vision was even worse than that. In that as the spirit led Ezekiel to and fro in the valley, he saw the bones of the dead bodies sun-bleached and lifeless. A few years ago now we had a, a long service leave and we towed a caravan around Australia and we towed the caravan up the Udnadatta track. 
part of the vast inland desert of Australia. And occasionally on that very rutted dirt road, we'd come across the skeleton of a dead cow lying by the side of the road where it had died. Its flesh long gone, its bones laid parched, crumbling and chalky in the hot central Australian sun. This is the kind of vision that Ezekiel sees. But not just one body and not the skeleton of a cow, but the the skeletons of a mass army of human beings died in battle perhaps and now lying bleached in the sun. The text says the bones were very dry. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Well, you can imagine the thought that went through Ezekiel's mind, can't you? If he was an Aussie, he would have said, what do you reckon? (laughs) Of course they can't. They're so far gone, aren't they? Never to be revived. Now, I'm not sure whether his answer is a sign of despair or faith or just diplomacy. He says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Good way to answer God, isn't it? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now the Lord speaks a second time, calling on Ezekiel the prophet to prophesy to the dry bones with the word of the Lord. He says, Ezekiel, preach a sermon in this valley. Now we know from this uh, story of Ezekiel's life that he had a, a tough time as, a, as God's prophet among the people. The people were hard of hearts. Their ears were stopped up. Uh, they would not listen to the word of the Lord. So in one sense, he knew what it was like to preach to a congregation of dead bones. I'm sorry I went like that uh, when I said a congregation of dead bones. I didn't mean to do that. That. And it's quite startling, isn't it? Because it's a word of life. That the sermon he was given to give uh, to those dry bones was to speak to the dead congregation that something new was going to happen. With an expectation that the actual dead bones were listening to the word of the Lord. And the message he was given was quite startling. It's a word of life, the reception of breath in the reviving of the bones and a detailed uh, description of what was going to happen, tendons and flesh and a covering of skin. And so Ezekiel is obedient. He does as the Lord commands him. He speaks his word. He preaches to the bones. Then the most remarkable thing happens. A clattering sound, a rattling as the bones begin to come together, clacking as they are assembled into human bodies. First the bones, then the tendons, then the muscles, then the skin. He was the miracle in Ezekiel's vision. He's now looking at an army of bodies before him, perfectly formed human bodies, not piles of bones, but flesh and blood. But there was still no breath in them. So the third word of the Lord comes uh, to Ezekiel in his vision, this time to prophesy to the breath. Now there's this beautiful play on words in this uh, chapter in Ezekiel uh, because the same Hebrew word is used for spirit and breath and wind. 
The spirit who had taken him into this vision now calls on him to prophesy to the breath and to the wind to bring life to these bodies. And so he does. He prophesies to the wind and the breath enters them and they are enlivened by the spirit. And he simply says in verse 10, they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Now it is, of course, a vision, a picture for Ezekiel to know the word of the Lord, to communicate God's message for the people. And verses 11 to 14 explain what this word is about. Let me read them to you. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Great, isn't it? When you get a, a view, I don't know if you ever have dreams in, in the night and you wonder what it was about, but here his vision, his dream is explained to him by the Lord. The bones are the people of Israel. These are the people of Israel who'd been crying out in their despair as they languished in exile in Babylon. They felt as if they were dead. They were saying, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. They feel as good as dead. God's promise to them is that they do in fact have a future, that he has not finished with them yet, that they will be restored to the city of Jerusalem and to the land. And he switches metaphor, doesn't he? Uh, In verse 12 he says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them and bring you back to the land of Israel. It's a promise of restoration, restoration to land and to city and to promise. And friends, we know from the story of the Old Testament that God fulfilled his word to Ezekiel. The people did return. Jerusalem was re-established. God kept his promise so that God would preserve his people right through history, even to this day, so that the promise of Abraham to his descendant, that his descendants would bless the nations would indeed come true. One last thing to notice before we consider what this text means for us today is that all of this had a purpose and we can see it echoed through the text over and over, don't we? Verse 13, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord, the sovereign Lord. All of this vision... Was so, <coughs> was so that God, the people would know that God, Yahweh, is the Lord. 
and he is powerful to preserve his people and bring salvation. He is the sovereign Lord, the ruler of heaven and earth, and they should trust him. So what do we do with this uh, passage for us today? All of this took place a long time ago. How, how relevant is it for us? Well, in some ways, I think living in 21st century New Zealand might feel at least a little bit like being in exile in Babylon. I'm sure it's the same here as it is in Australia, that we are living in an increasingly hostile world to Christians. Christians are hounded and mocked in the media for holding traditional views on marriage. Three Christian leaders, the Catholic Archbishop, the leader of a Presbyterian church and another preacher, have uh, in the last three years have found themselves with a charge before them in the anti-discrimination tribunal in Tasmania for teaching what the Bible says about marriage. In trouble with the law, in trouble with the civil law in Australia for preaching the word. It's frightening. It's not popular to stand up and own the name of Christ and his word in a secular world. And I think it's only going to get harder as time goes on. As we look around churches in this country, we look back to see better days for the church, don't we, generally speaking? Most of the churches, not this one, but most of the churches look for those better days when they were full and thriving and now they seem small and struggling and the future looks very bleak. I look at many churches in Tasmania that used to be thriving communities, now a shadow of their former selves. And here in this country, the shrinking church-going population, especially in liberal churches who have abandoned the gospel, will be a growing feature of New Zealand life. And we may think to ourselves, our bones have dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. We may even feel a little let down by God. We've trusted him and now look at our church. Closures and decline and uncertainty about the future. Where is God in all of this? Has he abandoned us? Do we have a future? Is there any hope? Now if this is true of you even for a moment, then these words of Ezekiel 37 are a great encouragement to us. And I have three things I want us to take away this morning. First, God has a future for his people. You see, this passage reminds us that God has a future for his people. He doesn't give up on us even when we sin and don't listen to him and he disciplines us. He's still working out his purposes. Remember that Jesus promised to Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. He will sustain us. And it gives us confidence, doesn't it, that God will revive, has the power to revive his church again, even in New Zealand. He wants his church 
to prevail. And even if we have failed, he still has the power to revive us again, to restore us and take us to a confident future. If he could bring new life to the dead bones and breathe the the breath of his spirit into them, he can certainly keep his church here and revive us too. Of course, many have seen in this passage uh, an Old Testament explanation or foreshadowing of the resurrection. Now, it might be too strong a claim for this passage to bear, but at the same time, this vision of Ezekiel is a, a link in the chain to which the biblical hope of resurrection is anchored, isn't it? Here is the foretaste of what God will do through the Lord Jesus Christ. God brings life from the dead. God revives and restores. He is in the business of resurrection and we are resurrection people gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ in all his power and glory. I used to be vicar of St Jude's Church in Carlton in inner city Melbourne. St Jude's is traditionally the patron saint of lost causes and hopeless cases. It's a great saint to have as your church saint, isn't it? And I love it because it's an accurate description of every Christian and every church, isn't it? Lost causes and hopeless cases. For without Christ, that's what we are. Without Christ, we are bones dried up and our hope is gone. But we're resurrection people. And God can gather the dry bones and clatter them together again and knit them together with ligaments and sinews and muscles and skin and then breathe life into them. And he can revive his church. The second thing I want you to see is that his method of revival is the word and the spirit. Notice how he revives his people in Ezekiel's vision. First, by preaching the word of the Lord to them. Uh, In his vision, Ezekiel wasn't called to do any magic conjuring tricks with the dry bones, no incantations, just ordinary words, the words that God had given him. And it shows us the living power of God's word invading that valley of death. If we want new life in our church, if we want to see the, the, the Anglican church in New Zealand revived and growing and lively and healthy, it will come the same way. Not by special tricks or newfangled ideas, not by special programs or magic, but what, what, but what the Apostle Paul calls the open statement of the truth, the glorious word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the word of God, the good news of God about his son and the power of God for the salvation of the world. Over the last two days, we, 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 we had, have a vision for 
a renewed Anglican church in this country that is mission-oriented, that is making disciples of the Lord Jesus and glorifying him. And if we want that to come to fruition, then we need to preach the word and teach the scriptures and form our lives by this good news we find in them and tell the world about Jesus and his love and his death and his resurrection so that they might have hope. But the second part of this is that this revival is the blowing of the wind, the wind of the spirit. You see, what what gives us physical life is breath. What, What gives us spiritual life is God's spirit breathed into us. Remember Jesus' words in John 3, his encounter with Nicodemus. He said, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, he said, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. My brothers and sisters, we need to plead with the Lord that he would blow his Spirit through this land. My daily prayer for Tasmania is that God would revive us by his spirit. That he would wake up the sleepy Christians who've fallen asleep on the job. That he would, uh, he, he would turn churches to repentance and, and prayer. That they would love his word. That they would be, be revived by his spirit. And we need to plead with the Lord that he would revive us by his spirit as well. The last and final thing I want us to notice from this passage is that he wants us to know that he is the Lord. You see, I think this is one of the most encouraging things from this passage of Scripture is to know that he is the Lord, that he is the sovereign Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth. He is all-powerful and all-loving and able to do his will. You have a massive challenge in front of you. I cannot begin to imagine the pain you have experienced in recent months with the decision of your general synod and the flow-on effects for this church and many churches around this country. I'm so in awe of your courage to stand firm for the gospel. I told uh, the group on on Friday morning that my diocesan council uh, gave their unanimous support for me to be here and encourage you. They they have been at prayer for you this weekend. The Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans in Australia have been at prayer for you this weekend. Because we know that at times it's going to feel bleak and and, and you're setting out into the unknown and, and you are unsure about what the future is, where the money's going to come from, how this is going to work. But the message of this text is... The Lord is with us. He's the Lord. Verse 13, Then my people will know that I am the Lord. 
And the greatest thing that Ezekiel and, and the people of Israel needed to hang on to was that he was the Lord. That he had his plans. And they would not be thwarted by the Babylonians. They would not be thwarted by the people's sin. And God has a future for you. My dear brothers and sisters, so wonderful uh, to uh, be here and encourage you with these words. God has a future for his people. He revives his church by the word and by the spirit so that you will know that he is the Lord. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up out of them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you uh, for your faithfulness. How we thank you for uh, your gift in preserving this, uh, this scripture for us. Father, please strengthen our faith this day. Encourage us. Spur us on to be men and women who love your word, who lean on your spirit as you take us into this confident future so that we might know that you are the Lord. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.